3: As promised, while Unscrewed is on summer hiatus, I will occasionally be bringing you some great episodes of other people's podcasts about unscrewing the sexual culture, and I'm kicking it off with some good news. I know the world is, like, even more on fucking fire right now than it was somehow before, uh, And I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it right here with you. But I thought I would make sure you saw some good news that happened in the US courts that I think got kind of overshadowed. And so I'm sharing with you an episode of Boom Lawyered, which is one of my favorite shows for knowing what the F is going on in the courts, or as they themselves say, Boom Lawyered is a friendly and entertaining legal analysis for anyone passionate about justice. Rewire.news legal experts Jessica mason piclow and Amani Gandhi explore the important issues coming up in the courts, how the legal system works, and what the case outcomes will mean for all of us. This one is actually about the best condition in which you can be called a member of a suspect class. If you enjoy Boom Lawyered... Hit them up. Tell them I sent you. Make sure to subscribe through Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. You could always just go to rewire.news slash boompod, B-O-O-M-P-O-D, and it'll have your subscription options for Boom Lawyered all hammered out right there. Hope you enjoy the show. Talk to you soon. <laughs>
4: Hello fellow law nerds. Welcome to another episode of Boom Lawyered, a rewire.news podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that is still obsessed with the Women's World Cup. I'm Imani Gandhi <laughs> and I'm Jess Piccolo. Rewire.news
0: is dedicated to bringing you the best reproductive rights and social justice news, commentary and analysis on the web, and the team legal podcast is part of that mission. So a big thank you to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners.
4: On Friday, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals issued an important ruling for transgender rights. The decision came in the case of Karnoski versus Trump, one of four legal challenges to the Trump administration's ban on transgender people enlisting or serving in the military. In Karnoski, the Ninth Circuit ruled that policies that target transgender people are sex-based discrimination that must meet heightened scrutiny in order to be constitutional. Friday's decision is an important win for transgender rights, but it's a qualified win. Nevertheless, it is still important, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Kornoski case and Friday's ruling. We'll talk about heightened scrutiny and we'll explain what it all means for trans rights moving forward. <laughs> Hey, Jess. Hey, Imani. (laughs) I gotta say, it's a a little bit weird having good news to share with our listeners for once. But Friday's decision is actually good news, isn't it? It
0: is good news, and I agree. It's totally a little bizarre, not gonna lie. Mm -hmm. But especially because we're talking about trans rights and the Trump administration. Now, the Karnofsky case is kind of complicated, and it has been a while since we covered the Trump administration's transgender military service ban. So, Amani, why don't you give the listeners some background to start? I
4: would be happy to. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I take on this responsibility, and I take it seriously. In June 2017, President Trump announced through a series of tweets, as he often does, that he was banning transgender people from serving, quote, in any capacity in the military. He tweeted that he'd made this decision after, quote, consulting various experts and because of the, quote, tremendous medical costs and disruption transgender troops posed to the military.
0: Now, I mean, we've gotten accustomed to the president announcing policy via tweet, but can I just say that I'm really looking forward to hopefully that being a thing of the past? Because good Christ, like, announcing significant policy decisions by, I don't know, a one or
4: two off on Twitter, like... Right, and then going back and trying to reverse engineer the reason that you, like, tweeted those policies, which is... I mean... What's going on here? So let's get into that a little bit. So... Yeah, Trump announcing this transgender military service ban was yet another reversal of an Obama-era policy that had extended rights to transgender folks. Yep. Under Obama, transgender service members could serve openly under a policy that he had crafted with military leaders. Now, Trump and Pence naturally hate that policy, and so they decided to upend it. Yep. And, And the claims about transgender troops costing the military a, quote, tremendous amount in medical care... They're fucking baseless. They're absolutely baseless. Trump made up these claims without any evidence to back them up.
0: So we've got Trump tweeting off policy and making up evidence um, to back that up. And that is precisely why, within a couple months, we have four federal courts blocking the ban, including the Karnoski case.
4: So what is this Karnoski case about?
0: Okay, so Karnowski involves a challenge to the military ban brought by a handful of transgender folks who are either currently serving or want to serve in the military, as well as some advocacy groups who also want to see the ban blocked. They all claim it's unconstitutional and that it violates equal protection and due process rights.
4: So Trump tweets out a ban targeting trans troops or trans folks who want to serve. Mm -hmm. He gets sued, and the district court blocks the ban. So what happens next?
0: All right, Imani, this story is going to start to sound a lot like the Muslim ban case. In response to the first round of injunctions, the Trump administration goes, hold up, hold up, we've got a revision we're going to make.
4: Yeah, this is precisely what they did in the Muslim case, right? They issued new orders in response to federal court injunctions to try and reverse engineer legality around their clearly unlawful actions.
0: Precisely the same thing here. So in response to those injunctions, Trump orders then Secretary of Defense James Mattis to commission a group of military leaders to issue a study on how to implement Trump's ban. Now, Vice President Mike Pence is super eager to help Mattis out here, so Pence gets together some of his buddies to craft a report that Mattis can use to base his recommendations
4: to Trump on. I, for one, am shocked that Mike (laughs) Pence somehow opposes the rights of transgender people to serve in the military, because usually he's really so good on LGBTQ rights. And I mean, can't you just see him like, put me in, coach? I'm ready to play! (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. This is the moment I've been waiting for. I'm ready for my close up. (laughs) Totally.
0: So, Pence and his anti trans Avengers include the (laughs) noted military expert Tony Perkins of the Family Research Council. Tony Perkins? Tony Perkins! I He's known that. for his military expertise. I
4: mean, yeah. this is a real strategic <laughs> thinker, you know, really. High-star general, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Pence and General Perkins, <laughs> which <laughs> <I> think- <laughs> I literally just did a spit take, <laughs> listeners. Literally just spit water all over my computer.
0: I'm like picturing him like, you know, when they had, oh, no, never mind. I'm like picturing him in military blues and like, it's too much. It's too yeah, much it's cosplay too much. It for my head. Anyway, so Pence and Perkins issue this report. And the report says that having transgender service members serving openly would, quote, erode reasonable expectations of privacy by, quote, blurring the line that differentiates the standards and policies policies applicable to men and women.
4: Can I just say at the outset, this sounds almost exactly like the bathroom panic that was sweeping the nation a couple of years ago, where you saw Republicans trying to ban trans people from using public facilities that align with their gender identity. Mm -hmm. But I also want to say that I don't understand how they can feasibly say that having trans people serve in the military would erode expectations of privacy and blah, 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 When trans people had already been serving in the military and there were no erosion of privacy or no blurring of lines that differentiate between men and women. I mean, give me a goddamn break.
0: Oh, give me a goddamn break is a pretty good summary of the report, but it gets worse even. So this Pence report alleges that by allowing trans troops to serve openly, it's going to impose, quote, disproportionate costs by creating a negative budgetary impact, and that's because of the medical needs of transgender service members.
4: (sighs) I feel like this is a good moment for... Exactly. (laughs) I was going to say, can we pause for our regularly scheduled fart noise? (laughs) So, naturally, the Pence report doesn't actually give a number for that cost, you know, these disproportionate costs that trans people serving openly are going to impose. Yep. But the New England Journal of Medicine actually gave a number. In 2015, they did a study and found that a transgender service member cost the military roughly, wait for it, wait for it, 22 cents per month. What? <laughs> 22 cents! That's a two and a two. 22 cents per month. That is that's it. not even a quarter. <laughs> it's not, not even, even a quarter. quarter. <laughs> like, 22 cents is barely even, like, money at this point. You know what I mean? It's like, good for God's sakes, people.
0: So that whopping 22 cents a month is going to break the military budget, according to Pence and yeah. General
4: Perkins. General fucking Perkins.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Mattis takes this report, adopts it, and says, yep, we should. We should totally ban trans troops. But we're just going to do it a little differently than we thought at first. So instead of this blanket ban that Trump tweeted out, the Pence report said that here's what we're going to do. We're going to ban openly transgender people from enlisting in the military. We're going to discharge any current members who come out as trans unless they agree not to transition and they throw in this, like, 36 six-month marker for that, and it's just hogwash. And although we're going to allow those folks who came out under the Obama administration to remain enlisted and with full access to health care. So that's the sort of humanity pledge in this ban for them.
4: Yeah, you can serve in the military. You can be trans and serve in the military as long as you're not trans and serving in the military is essentially what they're saying.
0: It's like four steps back from don't ask, don't tell. Yeah,
4: it really is. It really is. So Trump takes this Mattis report, these Mattis recommendations, implements them, and then goes back to the federal court to say, see, man, we're totally cool. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's literally, that's what we did. Like, sure, I tweeted out all this bigoted shit, but, you know, then I had these generals, these five-star generals, and Tony Perkins come up with the report, <laughs> and now we're going to just implement this report. So it's fine. Why are we even here? We don't need to be in court. I mean, he, he essentially tells the court that the Pence report is the evidence to support the ban, even though he had tweeted the ban long before the Pence report had even been commissioned. Mm hmm. Okie dokie. The administration also said that the fact that it was going to let those troops who came out in reliance of the policy during the Obama administration was proof that this wasn't a ban targeting transgender troops after all, right? So we grandfathered in all the trans people who came out during the Obama administration. So it's obvious that we're cool with trans people. There are clearly other forces at play here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it... is <laughs> like thankfully though the courts basically gave the trump administration a fart noise in response they said nice try and they kept the injunctions in place that blocked the ban so the trump administration did what the trump administration has been doing this time and went directly to the roberts court and asked them to step in which hey what do you know imani the roberts court did
4: can i just take a moment and ask what is what is the deal with trump <laughs> normal appellate procedure and going crying directly to the Roberts courts every time a district court doesn't does something that he doesn't like right normally you're supposed to go to there are these things called circuit courts of appeal that are yeah. in between district courts and the Supreme Court the administration did the same thing in Garza remember mm-hmm. the case where the government tried to prevent an undocumented minor from having an abortion why do they keep going crying to the Roberts court instead of following proper procedure I
0: think because he's a punk. I mean, Mm. I think that's basically the only like they had there's there's clearly no respect for the rule of law. We've seen that in the way they implement these things, the trans military ban being a perfect example of this. So ignore standard procedures in implementing things like this. And then when you don't get the outcome that you want, you appeal to the people who you think are going to give it to you, in which case that is a five to four majority on the Roberts court. And hey, guess what happened here, Imani?
4: I'm going to go with the Roberts Court said, ah, sure, why not? Let the bans go ahead. And nah, 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 nah. Yeah,
0: basically, <laughs> the Roberts Court was like, meh, fuck it. In January, in a five to four decision, they issued a temporary ruling that allowed the ban to take effect while the litigation challenging it proceeds. So that ruling wasn't on the merit. So the justices didn't say that the ban was constitutional or unconstitutional, just that it should be allowed to take effect while the courts sort this constitutionality of it out.
4: As a result of the court's order, the injunctions blocking the bans were lifted, right? So that brings uh-huh. us back to the Karnowski case. But before we move on and talk more about the Karnasky case, we just dumped a ton of procedural background on you. Yeah, And so I want to quickly recap what the procedural posture of this case is, right? So yeah. Trump tweets that he wants to ban trans people from the military. A bunch of people sue him. In response, the administration did what it did in the Muslim ban— And gave Trump's clearly bigoted tweets and the policy that resulted from them a very thin veneer of respectability by commissioning a report from the Secretary of Defense, Mattis, who is actually not the Secretary of Defense anymore, because we don't have a Secretary of Defense right now, because everything is terrible. (laughs) But that was an aside. Now, this Mattis report is chock full of bullshit, but because the report was conducted in conjunction with the Department of Defense, Trump went ahead and skipped the normal rules that govern appellate procedure and went whining to the Supreme Court, asking the Supreme Court to accept the report as the reason for the trans ban and not his bigoted half-drunk tweets, and then (laughs) begging the court to let that ban go into effect. The court says, eh, okay, we're not saying the ban is constitutional. We're not saying it's unconstitutional, but we're going to let it slide. And so all of the injunctions were lifted.
0: And you know what? The Roberts court could have done the easy thing and just said, we're going to just be quiet, right? right? Like, you don't have to chime in. They can say, no, follow the goddamn procedure. But they didn't. And so it causes all of this chaos,
4: which brings us back to Karnofsky. In April 2018, the district court in Karnasky had ruled that the Mattis policy did not substantially change Trump's initial ban and ordered the litigation against the policy to proceed. And, you know, Trump just hated
0: this, right? Yes. Like the whole idea was that the Supreme Court was supposed to put an end to it. Let them just go about the business of banning trans folks from being trans in public and just get on with it. Right.
4: Ugh, yeah, absolutely. So. As part of the ruling, the district court ruled that transgender individuals constitute a suspect class and, quote, that the ban must satisfy the most exacting level of scrutiny if it is to survive. Now, the most exacting level of scrutiny is strict scrutiny. The district court identified four relevant factors for determining whether a classification was suspect or quasi-suspect. One, whether as a historical matter the class was subject to discrimination. Two, Whether the class has a defining characteristic that frequently bears a relationship to its ability to perform or its contribution to society. Three, whether the class exhibits obvious immutable or distinguishing characteristics that define it as a discrete group. And four, whether the class is a minority or is politically powerless.
0: Listeners, that's going to sound like a test. Uh, you know yeah. our courts love tests. Exactly.
4: And, and it's got four prongs. What yep. do you know? <laughs> Lawyers <laughs> and their goddamn 4 prong tests. We love prongs. So the district court noted that while, quote, courts have consistently found that transgender people constitute at minimum a quasi-suspect class, close quote, in applying the four factors I mentioned above, the district court decided that trans people constitute a suspect class, not a quasi suspect class, a suspect class. And we'll get into the difference a little bit later.
3: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes, until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: So the district court issues this ruling in April, and it's a big deal because it definitely tells the Trump administration that in this court, their ban is on trouble. And the parties go back and forth fighting about then what the Trump administration has to disclose in discovery related to the ban, right? They're going to have to show some evidence to justify this ban, and we all know they can't do it. So while that fight is happening, we've got the Roberts court that steps in and mucks everything up by saying the ban can take effect while the litigation proceeds. The Trump administration is like, hot damn, this is our... Our opportunity and appeals that order directly to the Ninth Circuit, and that's the ruling we got to on Friday that we first opened the show with.
4: Yeah, this is these cases are so complicated, so if hopefully you've stuck with us. If you have, maybe take a break, put a cold compress on your head. Hydrate. Hydrate. We're going to keep going. So at the beginning of the show, I said that the Ninth Circuit decision was a qualified win for trans rights. Mm-hmm. Now here's why it's a qualified win. First, the Ninth Circuit reversed that April 2018 decision by the district court to keep the injunction in place.
0: Now, I know that sounds like bad news, and it kind of is because after all, right, an injunction that blocks the ban is better than an injunction not blocking the ban. But that part of the Ninth Circuit's decision was expected. It's kind of housekeeping after what the Roberts Court did back in January.
4: The Ninth Circuit also reversed the district court's finding that transgender people are a suspect class deserving of strict constitutional scrutiny. This also sounds like bad news, but it isn't as bad as it sounds. Because in reversing the strict scrutiny determination, the Ninth Circuit said that the district court's analysis was actually reasonable in concluding that trans folks should be considered a suspect class. But, unfortunately, Supreme Court precedent on sex-based discrimination dictated that they treat trans people as a quasi-suspect class and not a suspect class. And furthermore, any laws or policies targeting trans people Would be subject to heightened scrutiny. So it's not as bad as it sounds because although trans people aren't a suspect class, they are a quasi suspect class. And that's way better than the fuck it, we'll do it live review, which is what rational basis review is, which is what the government wants.
0: (laughs) Okay, Amani, that was a lot of law. Like that you pulled a Jess. We could say,
4: and <laughs> like, just Jess. put
0: it all out there, let's unpack some of the constitutional talk here. We've got suspect classes and levels of scrutiny. Let's, let's break that down for the listeners.
4: Oh, definitely. This is my turn to be Jess. My turn to put yeah. my reading glasses up on my nose, straighten my tie a little bit. All right, let's do this. <clears throat> so one of the major issues when it comes to trans rights is whether or not trans people are a suspect class for purposes of equal protection analysis.
0: And a suspect class is what exactly?
4: A suspect class is a discrete and insular minority, Jess. Gosh, everybody <laughs> knows that.
0: <laughs> I mean, Amani, you know goddamn well the people who had much better sense than you and I not to yeah. go to law school probably don't know what a discrete and insular minority means.
4: I know, I was just being a pain in the ass. I like being a pain in the ass sometimes. It's
0: good. Okay,
4: so the Supreme Court first articulated this concept of a suspect class back in the 1930s. The court developed these hallmark characteristics to determine which marginalized people, also known as, quote, discrete and insular minorities, also two known as, quote, suspect classes, the court developed hallmark characteristics to determine Which of these groups require special constitutional protection against laws that discriminate against them?
0: So is it fair to say that it's basically vulnerable people who require constitutional protection from tyrannical
4: laws? It is absolutely fair to say that. These are groups that constitute a small percentage of the population and therefore lack the political power to oppose tyranny inflicted upon them by groups with larger numbers. These are groups that have historically been subjected to discrimination. These are groups with immutable characteristics, which is a term that the court coined in order to describe traits like race and gender. So what are some examples of suspect classes, and how does this whole issue of heightened scrutiny fit in, Amani? Okay, so black people, for one, are a suspect class. The Supreme Court has designated black people a suspect class, laws that discriminate against black people rarely pass constitutional muster because they are subject to the highest level of scrutiny. Strict scrutiny, right? Precisely. And that means that a particular law must be, quote, narrowly tailored to promote a, quote, compelling government interest.
0: And that's a really difficult hurdle to pass.
4: It's a very, very difficult hurdle to pass, if a government, state government, federal government, whatever, passes a law that targets black people for different treatment, then the government must have a damn good reason why. And even then, the court is going to start from the presumption that the government's reason is not good enough.
0: So the government's basically almost always going to lose in those scenarios. Okay. Right. So that's race. What about sex? What about like discrimination against women, for
4: example? So, women are considered a quasi suspect class. Black people are a suspect class. Women are a quasi suspect class. The court has determined that laws targeting women for unequal treatment. <laughs> tweetment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Coming to a constitutional complaint near you.
4: (laughs) Pretty soon we're going to be just tweeting complaints. We're not even going to file them in court anymore. (laughs) What I meant to say is that the court (laughs) determined that laws targeting women for unequal treatment may pass constitutional muster if the laws are substantially related to a, quote, important government interest.
0: Okay, so those are the two biggies, race and sex. What about sexual orientation and gender identity, though?
4: The answer to that is who the fuck knows? (laughs) Lesbian people, gay people, bisexual people are essentially in the same boat as trans people. And so we're going to focus on trans people in this episode. So I don't end up going off on a rant about LGB folks because we've done that before. And you should go back and either listen to those episodes or read the shit that we've written about it. (laughs) But when it comes to... (laughs) I mean, it's not shit. It's actually good stuff. But, you know, shit in a colloquial sense. (laughs) Right. But when it comes to transgender people, most courts have refused to call them a suspect or a quasi-suspect class. This leaves transgender people twisting in the legal wind and permits laws that target them to be examined using rational basis review. That's the meh, fuck it, we'll do it live review. And that rarely results in legislation being struck down.
0: But of course trans people are a discreet and insular minority. I mean... Of course they are! Like, this is... This is... Duh. Fucking ridiculous. Duh. Trans people are a discreet and slur minority. It is Duh. so ordered. I mean, that's basically it, like... It, it is known. <laughs> but, I mean, sincerely, though, we've got uh, the suicide attempt rate for transgender or gender nonconforming people in the United States is 41%, Amani. That's compared to 4.6% of the overall population. The unemployment rate in the trans community is double what it is for the country as a whole. Violence against trans people, particularly trans, Trans women of color is staggering as our poverty levels. A 2011 report issued by the National Center for Transgender Equality found that 78% of students, 78% of students surveyed who identified as transgender or gender nonconforming report being harassed while in grades kindergarten through 12. These same students reported high rates of assault, too. 35% of them reported physical assault and 12% reported sexual assault. Meanwhile, 15% of the transgender and gender non-conforming students surveyed dropped out of school.
4: These statistics are terrible. They are alarming. That breaks my heart. It really, it's horrifying, it's sad, and it is clear that trans people are a target for discrimination. I mean, just look at what the Trump administration is doing with this ban, this trans troop ban that we're talking about. We've got Republican-led legislatures across the country introducing and enacting laws that target trans people, like the bathroom discrimination laws that we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier. I mean, it is irrefutable that trans people require some sort of heightened scrutiny when it comes to analyzing laws that target them. They deserve the same constitutional protection that is afforded to groups that the Supreme Court has already designated suspect or quasi-suspect classes.
0: They sure as hell do. So it's a big deal, a real big deal that the Ninth Circuit held that discrimination on the basis of transgender status is sex-based discrimination and therefore
4: subject to heightened scrutiny. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals basically just became the first federal appeals court in the country to say that trans people are actually a quasi-suspect class. The court didn't say it outright, but that's the logical conclusion, isn't it, Jess?
0: It is, and it's a conclusion that's not just limited to the trans-military ban case either, which is also why it's such a big deal. The Ninth Circuit decision on heightened scrutiny applies to all of the states covered by the Ninth Circuit and any anti-trans laws they may have.
4: And I want to get back to explaining why it's a logical conclusion it's, it's a logical conclusion because courts only apply heightened scrutiny to quasi-suspect classes or suspect classes. So the very fact that the Ninth Circuit said that heightened scrutiny should be applicable to trans people means that the Ninth Circuit believes that the that these groups, transgender people, are either quasi-suspect or suspect. We're not just sure which of the two. Yep. And lower courts are going to have to apply that decision, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, for example... The ACLU is challenging an Arizona policy that blocks transition-related care from state employee health insurance coverage. Now, this Karnofsky decision definitely helps that case. Other states in the Ninth Circuit, Washington, Oregon, California, Idaho, Nevada, Montana, these are all the states that comprise the Ninth Circuit. Trans people in those states have a real good decision that makes it clear lawmakers cannot just target them and then think the courts are going to look the other way.
0: Right. It's wonderful. It is just it is like scream it from the mountaintops. Wonderful. So the the Ninth Circuit sends the Karnowski case back to the lower court on Friday and says, take another look and use this heightened scrutiny standard, which means now that the Trump administration is going to have to show this exceedingly persuasive justification for the ban. And that justification can't rely on stereotypes or unsupported assumptions about trans troops. And that basically tosses out the entire Pence report. I'm also pretty confident that when the district court takes another look, it'll issue another injunction and declare the ban
4: unconstitutional because it is. And that means the Trump administration is going to appeal and we're probably looking at another Supreme Court fight, don't you think? I do, but we've got a long time before
0: that happens at least, which I think is good news. However, wow, I have to There's do always this. a however. This is Jess. This is why I'm super fun at parties. It's great. <laughs> however. <laughs>
4: dun, dun, dun.
0: We know the Roberts court already has one transgender case on the calendar for next term, right? Imani, that's the Harris Funeral Homes case where the court is going to determine whether or not your boss can fire you for being trans. If the Roberts court were to rule that discriminating against someone for being trans isn't sex-based discrimination, then the Karnoski ruling would be undermined.
4: But that hasn't happened yet. Hasn't happened yet. It might never happen. As pessimistic as we can be about the Roberts court, the truth is public opinion favors trans rights. It does. Just this week, for example, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, who is a Republican, announced his opposition to the ban. And polling released last week shows an increasing number of Republicans oppose Trump's transgender military ban. That also includes Secretary of the Army Mark Esper, He's going to become acting defense secretary now that Pat Shanahan dropped out of the confirmation process. Unlike Pat Shanahan, Mark Esper is on the record stating that transgender troops have no impact on unit cohesion. And that's one of the reasons that the Trump administration has used to justify the ban. So this is good news. It's kind of bad news, but it's mostly good news because public opinion favors trans rights. There are Republicans out there who oppose this ban. And once again, we're looking to Roberts to determine whether or not he gives a shit about his legacy. He gives a Mm -hmm. shit about the sort of legitimacy of the court. Is Roberts going to be that guy? We really hope that Roberts isn't going to be that guy. Excuse me, Mr. Chief Justice, please don't be that guy.
0: Paging Mr. Chief Justice, don't (laughs) be that guy. (laughs) seriously, though, all I mean, there are elements of the fight that feel very much like the fight over Prop 8 and also the fight over health care reform. So it could really go either way. It's in Robert's hands, which means the fight at the Supreme Court ain't over till it's over. And until then, and we've got a ways then, we still have this great decision from the Ninth Circuit that makes it clear that laws that target transgender folks must survive heightened constitutional scrutiny. That decision is going to reach beyond the transgender military service ban and is a real big deal, a real big deal for trans rights.
4: It's a huge deal. So we're in a moment where trans rights are under siege, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And we are going to end this episode by saying, keep your eye on that light. Yep. There's some positivity, positivity and light. And on that note, we're going to end the episode. We're going to end the episode on positivity and light. A- Let's close before we fuck it up. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm going to close. I'm going to close. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at AngryBlackLady. Jess is also on Twitter. She's Hegemommy, H E G E M O M M Y. Follow Rewire.news at Rewire underscore news. Join us on Facebook, Boom Lawyered. Answer the questions. We'll let you right in. See you on the Tubes. Ooh, we did it. We, we did stayed it. Stay positive. <laughs> See you on the Tubes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piclo and Imani Gandhi. This episode was produced by Mark Filetti, who is also our executive producer, and the Rewired.news editor in chief is Jody Jacobson.
4: Hold up.